and the children make their way out tonight. Will you turn to Mark's Gospel, chapter 10? Mark's Gospel, chapter 10. We'll lift a few verses out, and we ask you to keep your Bible open. We want to, we want to elevate the Lord Jesus as always. We want to exalt him. We want to praise him. We want to show that the futility of man in comparison to Christ, the Lord helping me tonight. Mark's Gospel, chapter 10, verse 28, please. And Peter began to say unto him, Lo, we have left all and have followed thee. Jesus answered and said, Verily I say unto you, there is no man that hath left house or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels. And he shall receive an hundredfold now in this time houses and brethren and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the world to come eternal life. But many that are first shall be last and the last first. Let's pray again. Father, take your word. Seal it in our hearts. But help us to glorify your son. To love him with all we are. And all that we have tonight. That he may be lifted up and alone. That he may be seen. For he alone is worthy of all the praise. So we give you glory in Jesus' name. Amen. In verse 28, Peter says to the Lord Jesus, Lo, we have left all, we have followed thee. I want to speak tonight on the worthiness of Christ. The worthiness of Christ. In other words, Peter says to him, we have left all we have and we have followed you, Jesus. We've left our families, our houses, our business, our fishing boats, etc. We have left even our future of our family inheritance we have, we have cast everything to the side in order to follow you, Lord Jesus. The term here, we have left, in the original manuscript gives the idea of a permanent one-time, once and for all act. In other words, there was a decisive moment when the disciples realized who Christ really was. They heard the call, the Spirit bid them come, bid them come, and they came. And they came and followed Jesus. And nothing in their life, nothing that they had or possessed, came close in comparison with the man of Galilee. They found him irresistible. They found him so adorable. They found him worthy, worthy to be followed. You see, whenever we think of we have left all and have followed thee, we are not only saying that people have to leave their families literally, although sometimes that may be the call. But for a man and a woman to come to Christ, the saving faith, it is a matter of placing Christ first and being willing to leave the world behind, to leave the old life behind, to leave those friends behind, and to walk in obedience to follow the Savior. Peter says, we've done this once and for all. We have followed you. We have kept our eyes on you. We have seen you. We have heard you. We have followed you. And it's the same term as when the Lord said on the cross, it is finished, it's paid in full. In other words, it was a one-time, once-for-all sacrifice of Christ on the cross. It was never and will never, can never be repeated again, ever. It's only done once. It will never be repeated again. And Peter says, we made a decision. We made a decision when your spirit bid us come. When you called us and said, follow me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. He says, our hearts had to follow you. We left our fathers in the fishing boats and so on. We left our homes and our houses behind. But listen, remember, Peter had a mother-in-law for she fell sick. And later we read of how the Lord Jesus healed her. So Peter was married. It doesn't mean to say that he totally uh, abandoned his family and his wife, but rather those things that he trusted in and held dear, he gave it up for the cause of Christ. Friend, what would you give up tonight for the cause of Christ? Christian, what are you willing 
to give up tonight for the cause of Christ? Are you willing to give up everything you have for the cause of Christ? Are you willing to give up everything you possess and everything that you own for the cause of Christ? Would you be willing to give up your job to take your stand for the cause of Christ? Would you be willing to lose everything you have for him? Would you be willing to go to the mission field should the Spirit bid you come? Would you be willing to take up the cross of missionary endeavor should the Lord speak to your heart? And you know it's Christ. You know it's him. You know it's his word. What are you willing to give up for the cause of Christ? Here, Peter says, we have given up once and for all. In other words, he burnt his bridges. No turning back. The problem with many Christians is is they do not burn their bridges with the world. They do not burn their bridges to follow hard after Jesus, but Christ demands it. Here we see that while uh, to leave all and follow him is honorable, needful, even necessary for a man or woman to fully place their all, their hope, their faith, and their trust in Christ. Here it seems as if Peter, for some reason, is saying this begrudgingly to Jesus or boastfully to Jesus. Now, if we were honest, there's times that we have served the Lord and we have given to the Lord and we have given up for the Lord, but not really everything, if we're honest. We sang, I surrender all. And to be honest, we always hold that little bit in restraint from him. I remember when I told you before that I went over the, the golf course in Belfast where I lived and Alison and I weren't long married. And I used to pray, Lord, I will do anything for you. I will give up everything for you. Just say the word and I will do it. And the Lord told me to give up my home and all my possessions and give them up and give them away. Do not sell them and go to a mission field. Go to Romania. And I said, Lord, I'll go anywhere for you, but don't send me there. I don't want to go there. We've only got married. Our house has done up beautiful. My wife is only living in it three months the way she wants it. Please, Lord, I don't know how I would tell her. And when I got home, he had already spoken to her too. <laughs> but were we willing to give up? Are you willing, brother or sister, to give it up? Are you willing to give up your time? And are you willing to give up all your strength and your efforts and everything for Christ? Because what we're doing is we are measuring the worth of Christ and his cross. We are measuring the worth of Christ and his fellowship. We are measuring the worth of Christ to us personally in comparison to what we own personally, what we have personally, where we would go personally, and what we would do personally for Christ. Today, many Christians are afraid to name Jesus in the workplace unless they get reprimanded by their boss. Well, how far has the church fallen away from Christ? Here, Peter says, we have left it all, but it's either begrudgingly or boastfully. Now, he says, we have left all and we have followed thee. Can you imagine, what if Jesus was to play the like for like game? What if Jesus was to say to Peter and the disciples, what if he was to say to me after what I told you, to Alison, my wife, after what I told you, to you, even in the things we say we give to him and give up for him. What if Jesus was to do like for like and say, you left all and you to follow me? I left a word of perfection for you, Peter. I left the bosom of the Father for you, Peter. I left the ivory palaces, the splendor of heaven for you, Peter. I left the worship of the angels of God for you. I left the adoration of the cherubim and the, the seraphim. I left the wonder of glory and the majesty of heaven for you. I left the place where there is no sin and no hurt and no harm and no violence a place where there is no pain, nor sickness, nor fear, nor death, 
nor hatred, nor bitterness, nor malice. I left a place where there is no mourning, there's no loss, no terror, nor fright, no curse, nor day, or no curse, nor night, nor darkness. I left eternity to step into time for you, Peter. Ken, put your name there. Disciple, Christian. I left glory, the glory of heaven to come down for you, Peter. I left it all, Peter, for you. But not to follow you, Peter, Ken or whoever. I left it all but to find you, to seek you and to find you, to save you by dying for you, to redeem you by shedding my precious blood for you, to rescue you from the grips of the enemy and from the devil to die in your room instead and in your place, to go to the tomb. I came for you, Peter. And you're telling me you left all for me? I left all. And even as Paul in Philippians 2, 7, 8 says, I have made myself, he could say, of no reputation. He could say, I took upon me the form of a servant. I have been made in the likeness of a man, found in fashion as a man. I have humbled myself and become obedient unto death for you, even the death of a cross, a torture implement. He said, Peter, you want to go like for like? Ken, do you want to go like for like? Son, daughter, he could say, do you want to go like for like? What you must give up for me. I have left all. He could say, I was made of a woman. Me, he could say, who made all things. A woman. Eve, the mother of all living. I was made of a woman, made under the law. Me, the law maker, the law giver, the law keeper, the righteous judge of all the earth. He says, me, made under the law for you. I have left all to redeem them that were under the law, that you, Peter, I'll put my name there, that you, Ken, might receive the adoption as a son of God, a daughter of the king. So if we were to play like for like and weigh it up in the worthiness of Christ, we would come fall, fall far short of his glory. Do we really want to play this? Listen to what Romans chapter 12 and verse 1 says of us. He says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God. Listen, which is your reasonable service. The very life that we live, now we are not saved by works, but by grace through faith. But as a Christian and as a believer, the very life that we live in this body, the life we live in this flesh, the life that we spend doing our own thing every day and accumulating our own things onto us every day, that we labor and strive and work so hard for and we hold it so tight that it becomes so worthy to us, that Christ becomes so unworthy to us. He says, your bodies, your living, your breathing, your heartbeat, the heart that's beating in your chest right now, the lungs that are breathing with the breath, the air, the wind of God. He says, I have placed it there. I give my all for you and you're saved to serve me. And it's your reasonable service. If we were able to minister to Christ, if we were able to worship the Lord Jesus Christ, Every single second, every nanosecond of every minute, of every hour, of every day, of every week, month, year, for the rest of our lives, whether they be very long or very short, and even throughout eternity, still, still we would come short of his glory. He is worthy, more worthy than you and I could ever give to him. In Luke's gospel, chapter 17, we're told of those who are to serve the Lord. And there's a 
he gives a parable of a servant in the field and he's been laboring away and he comes into the master's house and before the, he eats, the servant eats, he, he then serves the master. And Jesus, in a way, is saying, does this seem unfair to you? Does this seem unfair? Because he's referring to himself as the master and you and I who may labor and still then after our labor of our toils of our day, we come and we serve him with all that we have. We serve him and and we love him and we cherish him and we worship him because he is worthy. He says, does this seem unreasonable to you? In other words, is there any unrighteousness with God? And in Luke 17 and verse 10, listen to what the master tells us. When you have done all those things which are commanded you, say, we are unprofitable servants. Can you imagine? This is, this is the Christ who people would say to you and to people like me, oh, you're an angry preacher. You're an angry preacher. You preach that Jesus commands and demands. You're an angry preacher. I'm not. I'm just an honest one. He would say unto you and I, that he would command us to labor in his field, and even at that, we are still not up to scratch. Well, friends, this isn't for you and I to be condemned by him, but rather to see his worthiness, because you and I every day are living in grace. It shows how far short we fall, but every day he is carrying us on in grace. And when you've done all those things which are commanded, you say, Lord, You're so unfair. You're such a hard taskmaster. I don't really know if I want to follow you anymore. But he, the risen Christ, says, you want to play like for like? You want to bring your worthiness and compare it to my glory and my worthiness? Rather, we are to say, we are unprofitable servants. Listen, we have done that which was our duty. Being saved isn't about uh, just making a decision for Christ, as people would call it, and working up an eye or putting up a hand. And as I said this morning, I was saved in an altar call, so I'm saying nothing against that. But it's more than that, because people are believing these things, and they're going out the same way they come in, and they're, they're being lost for all eternity, and they're, they're on the broad road to destruction. They're hell-bound, but they think they're saved, and they live on in that. It's our duty. Listen to the Puritan Thomas Watson. He says, we may be losers for him, but we shall never be losers by him. God is speaking to you tonight. Be prepared to lose all for him and you'll find you'll gain everything. Whosoever shall gain his own life shall lose it. Whosoever shall lose his life for my sake shall give it eternal life. Peter says, Lo, we have left all and have followed thee. And in our reading in Mark chapter 10, let's read verses 29 and 30 in our chapter. And Jesus answered and said, Verily I say unto you, there is no man that hath left house or brethren, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands, for my sake, notice, for my sake, and the Gospels. But he shall receive an hundredfold now, note that, now in this time, houses, and brethren, and sisters, and mothers, and children, and lands with persecutions, and the world to come, eternal life. Is Jesus telling us here that everyone will be multiple homeowners when we give it all truly to Christ? Is he saying that we'll have multiple families or how does it work out? We'll have multiple parents or lands or if we leave all and follow him for his sake and for the gospels. In other words, we have to ask the question here, Lord Jesus, are you preaching the prosperity gospel? Now in this life, he says, now in this life, 
are you preaching prosperity gospel? And the resounding answer is no, he is not. No, he is not preaching this prosperity gospel. Listen, it seems to be that he's saying that we gain so much in this life and then eternal life in the next. In other words, there's blessing now a hundredfold and then eternal life to come. So he must be talking about the things that we gain. The person, the man and the woman who give up all for Christ and his gospel, they find themselves to be part of a family of believers across lands and nations. That's what he's saying. And when you go for my sake and give this up, look, there's men and there's women in this country across the water, as we would call it, on the mainland of Britain, across into Europe, and so on. We can keep going. And they have been saved by sovereign grace through faith in Christ, just like you have and like I have. And they become our, our brethren and our sisters. They be, their, their homes are like our homes. They, they're welcoming because they realize we have this one common denominator who is Christ himself, and we are bound up in the Spirit in the gospel. That's what Jesus is saying. Listen, you're bound here with a little group of fishermen. He says, but when you go out, now in this life, you're going to find that the world will open to you when you go forth in my name in the gospel. Here's the thing. If this be a prosperity gospel, there's something else we must look at. Because we are told in many places, especially on televangelism land, we are told that these things do speak of that prosperity. But then it also says in our reading, verse 30, Now he shall receive an hundredfold now in this time houses, brethren, sisters, mothers, children, lands, with persecutions. And we're told when you come to Christ, all your troubles disappear. Brothers and sisters, if you're Christ, you know that that ain't true. Your troubles don't disappear. But I tell you what does happen. He brings you through it. He causes you to be victorious. He makes you an overcomer. So those who are saying that there is blessing only in this life, this is your, the, the teaching is your 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 greatest life now. You want my greatest life to be now? And no, no harm to anyone, but if this was my greatest life now, that means I'm going to take a down step in eternity. That means that, dear help us, sometimes some of the stresses we get in this life, when I get to eternity, I'm going to think it's like hell. Think about it. Our greatest life is to come. It's all ahead of us when the Savior will break the skies or whether we die and we go to be with Christ, which is far better. Whatever way we are, we are Christ. And there, our greatest life, eternal life, then we will have in him. That will be our best life now. Here we have him saying, there will be persecutions, hundredfold persecutions, hundredfold because of Christ, persecutions because of Christ. Hundredfold because of the name of Jesus. One hundredfold persecution because of the gospel. And people are saying, well, we must not rock the boat because if we rock the boat, people won't like us and we won't get them in the church and we won't get them to listen to the gospel. We must become more like the world in order for them to be saved. Brothers and sisters, this book remains forever settled in heaven. And what is in this book, we must preach, and we must preach it in the power of the Holy Ghost, and God will bring and give the increase. That's the gospel. I was told just a couple of weeks ago or so of a new church, I'm not mentioning it or where it is, but they thought they get people in. They start to have beer tasting nights on a Sunday night. Have you ever heard a leg of that in your life? And the person that was telling me says, it's just to bring them in. You know, it's just to bring them in. And I knew they were a bit embarrassed with it telling me. And I said, no, whoa, 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 let me stop you there. So people are going to come in and drink two or three beers to taste them what they're like. Yes. 
but it's to get them in. I said, so they think it's all right then to be saved, to be a Christian, to drink their two or three beers, to be in the house of God. This is what we do. This is part of the gospel, and they go out unsaved. And they live their life like that. I says, no. You know what you need to, and they said his name there. I said, you know what you need to do? I says, you need to leave. Get out. Or protest to the pastor that can't Brothers and sisters, Christ says there will be persecutions. He didn't say we would be like the word and things would get better and easier. Hundredfold persecutions. But he says he'll take us through. Listen, the person who gains so much in this life now, Galatians 6 and 10 calls it the household of faith. Philippians 4 and 22 calls it the household of God. So we do gain. We gain in many ways, and we gain in God. Will you turn with me to the book of Hebrews? You want to look at how someone left the things of the world and how, when measured up against Christ, that nothing compared to him, nothing compared to the Lord Jesus. Turn with me to the book of Hebrews, please, chapter 11. Verse 24 says, By faith Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Esteeming the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who was invisible. Notice this as we read through this. Verse 24, he refused. Then verse 25, he chose. Then verse 26, he esteemed. And verse 27, he forsook, he endured because he saw. Notice this. First of all, he refused. Verse 24, by faith Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called son of Pharaoh's daughter. Let me put this into plain language for you. In other words, Moses showed faith when he believed God to chart his destiny instead of Pharaoh. Moses showed faith when he believed God, Yahweh, to chart his destiny instead of Pharaoh. Pharaoh representing the devil. Egypt representing the world that you and I as Christians in the new covenant are taken from and rescued from. And notice what he says here. It says, he refused. He had an offer on. All this will I give thee as the devil said unto the Lord Jesus Christ. If I will just bow down and worship me. I give you all these kingdoms, Jesus, and you need not go to the cross. Why take the pain of the cross? Why take the shame of the cross? Why die in agony, bleeding there and hanging in shame? for people who don't even know you nor want to know you, who haven't even been born yet and will live a life of sin. And Jesus says, it is written. (laughs) She always returned to the word. Always returned to the word. It is written. Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God and him only shalt thou serve. Here Christ takes the word. Moses is shown the same. He says, that it says that Pharaoh has offered him now coming of years. He's offered him as the, the daughter of Pharaoh's daughter or the, if you want, the adopted daughter. Looks on all of the riches of Egypt, all the world's pleasures, all its luxuries and all its things, its worthiness that I have. He says they are amounting up all the time. The power and the privilege is yours, Moses. And Moses said, oh, What a wonderful thing to be offered, but no thanks. I am trusting Yahweh, the God of Israel. I am trusting him to chart my destiny. And he left the palace and he ended up in the desert. (laughs) Will you trust God tonight to chart your life? Will you trust God when things get too comfortable? 
He refused. Secondly, he chose, let's look at it, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. He chose to suffer affliction. Who, who in their right mind would choose that? Think about this. Who in their right mind would choose affliction? Moses chose affliction over pleasure. Which one of you would choose affliction over pleasure tonight? But you see, when we weigh up what it is in comparison to the worthiness of Christ, we realize that even the affliction is but for a moment. It does not count the eternal weight of glory that awaits us in Christ. Which of us would rather have the affliction than the pleasure? I know that many of us would fall at the hurdle of it. Many of us would say, Lord, you wouldn't mind just the once. You wouldn't mind just this one thing if I held on to and kept. Yet we are not saying we have forsaken all and followed thee, Lord. We're saying we have forsaken some things and followed thee to some degree and some extent. The affliction may be hard in this life, but the weight of it is nothing and the exceeding weight of eternal glory, the pleasure of sin is for a season, brothers and sisters. In other words, it's for a period of time. It's only for a season. But after the season, when that season is finished, when that season is over, when sin has had its way in your life and in mine, listen, the weight of that sin, it brings forth death and the eternal weight of judgment of God, punishment and damnation of the soul. So you and I want to take that which is temporal. Now, we were laughing the other day, Alison and I, we were again looking at that big dog we have. We learn so much from an old dog sometimes. (laughs) And there he is again in his bed. Nice and warm, not too great outside, but he must go out. And you get the couple of wee dog biscuits and you throw it outside and he's away like a rocket. And we sometimes just between ourselves call him Esau. Esau sold his birthright for a pot of soup. And my dog Harley sells his big comfy bed in the warmth and the dry. Although he's a bed outside, but it's not the same. For two wee dog biscuits. And he never learns every single morning. Every single morning. Even if the snow's a foot deep, he would go out. Well, many of us are like Esau. Are willing to wet up for this present moment, sell Christ and his glory for your pot of soup or your two doggy biscuits. (laughs) We are not willing to give up nor to leave all and follow him. We're told he esteemed. Verse 26, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. In other words, they're esteemed, it means he considered it. Who doesn't? He weighed it up. He looked at it. He added it up. And Moses esteemed the reproach of Christ. Greater riches. Even though things might be hard, greater riches than all the treasures of Egypt. In other words, faith overcame his fear. Moses suffered, Moses suffered reproach because he had the coming of Christ in view. You see, here comes the difficulty with many. We lose the view of the coming of Christ. We will stand before him. Oh, but if we can see, keep Christ in our view, we'll wet up, we'll add it up, and we will say, no, the worthiness of Christ is greater. And we will keep him in view for all eternity. Are you willing? give it up for him.
Fourthly, he forsook Egypt. He left it all behind. In other words, he was steadfast in his decision. He left it behind, fifthly, because he endured, it says. You see, when we get saved, we have to leave the world behind. I know people say, well, I got saved, but I still go with the old mates. You cannot walk with the devil and walk with the world. Look, see some of my old friends, some of my old friends, and and I say this in the right respect, I love them. I grew up with them. But I can tell you one thing, I have nothing in common with them. I struggle when I meet one of them to say, Pass, hello, how you doing? What are you working on? And that's the height of the conversation because in my heart, I want to speak about Christ and they don't. I want to speak about the scriptures and they don't. I want to speak about the blood of Jesus and they don't. I want to speak about the things of the Holy Ghost and they don't. I want to speak about the glory of the Father. They don't. Have nothing in common with that. We need to forsake them. And to endure means he was steadfast in his decision, set in his heart. You see, the problem is we need to be set in our heart where we are in Christ, where we are for Christ. And let me give you an example. There's the, the, the word here endured is the word katharao. And it gives the idea, you find it in Job chapter, and only it's obviously in the Old Testament. And it gives the idea from Job chapter 2 and verse 9. Remember Job lost everything? Remember he lost his, his, his livestock and he lost his, his children and he lost his house and he lost all his properties and then he lost his health and he had sore boys and he scraped them with sharp pieces of broken pottery to try and, and get rid of the itch. And do you remember that? Well, his lovely wife comes out one day And she says, dost thou still retain thine integrity? Curse God and die. Now, many husbands or even many wives on the other side might say, you know what, wife, you're right. You know what, wife, let's give up. You know what, wife, let's forget about Christ and go on with it. Let's go back to Egypt. Let's go into the world. Let's just forget about all this Christian stuff and the word of God. Curse God and die. It's your fault. See the word here, dost thou retain thine integrity? The word retain thine integrity is the same meaning. She was saying, are you still steadfast and set deep in your heart and your innermost being to go on with God even now? Curse him. Then go and die. Die in your sin. Here, Moses forsook and he endured. He knew there was a road to travel, but he was set deep in his heart, in his innermost being. I'm going to follow for the coming Christ. I'm going to follow the coming Christ. He was set. He lost the palace and he lost the riches and he lost it all, but he was set. He sat in God. His heart was set on Christ. Every song may help us along the way when we sing, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. Though no one join me, Still, I will follow. You're the last Christian to live in this planet. Still keep set in Christ. Even if you're the last one in your family, the last one in your street, the last one in your school, the last one in your neighborhood, keep your heart set on Christ. Moses saw, we're told then, he endured the trouble change of lifestyle, the wilderness, the humbling experience from the palace to the wilderness, from the loftiness to loneliness. He endured because he saw and believed there was a coming Christ. But look, 
God blessed him with family, with liberty, with a multitude of people who followed him because he knew the coming Christ. So this is not prosperity gospel, yet in a sense, 100-fold blessing is great, for we do prosper in a sense, yet there's a hundredfold persecution. The outcome will be eternal life. Listen to John 1. John 1, the old Puritan. John 1 says, God hath work to do in this world and to desert it because of its difficulties and entanglements is to cast off his authority. It is not enough that we are just, that we are righteous and walk with God in holiness. But we must also serve our generation as David did before he fell asleep. I have written here, everyone who leaves all to follow Christ is grossly overpaid. I want to say it again. Everyone who leaves all to follow Christ is grossly overpaid. The scriptures tell us that he's our shield and exceeding great reward. We are told to rejoice and be glad for great is your reward in heaven. God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Proverbs 21 and 20 says, there is a treasure to be desired and oil in the dwelling of the wise. The treasure to be desired for every Christian redeemed blood-washed heart should be Christ himself. Christ himself. There is a treasure in Christ, and Christ is the treasure. Second Corinthians 1 and 20 says, all the promises of God in him are yea, and in him are amen. Colossians 2 and 10 says, and ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. Colossians 2 and 3 says, in him and Christ are hid in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Yes, it is true that everyone who leaves all to follow Christ, they are grossly overpaid. But all who leave Christ to follow others, all who leave Christ to follow the world, all who leave Christ to follow their dreams, all who leave Christ to follow their sin, all who leave Christ who follow all things but Christ are grossly in error and they will suffer a great loss. William Jenkins, again another Puritan, you forgive me for quoting all these Puritans, their stuff's mighty. He says, to forsake Christ for the world is to leave a treasure for a trifle, eternity for a moment, reality for a shadow. So Peter, he says to him, lo, we have left all and have followed thee, Jesus. Oh, Peter, what are you saying? Peter, impetuous Peter, he, he who has his foot in his mouth sometimes, now, while it is right that we do so, yet there's absolutely nothing we can give, nor we could ever give that would be worthy of our salvation, nor could ever compare to the worthiness of Christ. Peter was saying this for a reason, and it's in comparison to earlier in the chapter. And let me just bring this down as, we, uh, uh, as quick as I can before we round this up. There was a, a young man comes to Jesus early in the chapter and he's known in other places as a rich young ruler. He says, good master, what good thing must I do that I may inherit eternal life? Jesus says to him, why callest thou me good? There is none good but one and that is God. So this young man had a revelation of some sort of Christ. He is good. And Jesus says, but only God's good. So am I God then? And since this young man would see more than others, Jesus tells him to keep some commandments. All these have I kept, he said. He's already broke a commandment because he's lied. From my youth up. And then Jesus says, take your riches, go and sell all that you have, come and follow me. We're told in chapter 10, Mark chapter 10, verse 22, and he was sad at that saying and went away grieved for he had great possessions. He went up his possessions. In a fleeting moment, all that he had. He went up following Jesus. He went up Christ of glory. And even though, good master, Christ was not enough for him. He took his riches and off he went. 
So Peter is hearing that we can't be saved. If a rich man, and they believed, you see, at this time, that also riches meant was God's blessing. So if he's so rich and God is blessing him, yet he isn't saved, who then can be saved? And Jesus says, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And so then Peter comes in and says, we have left all and follow thee. What a boast, Peter. While Peter, Peter's was a, a fishing boat in nets, yet it was as all, which is to be uh, honorable in all things. But greater was the young man's possessions. Peter's fishing boat, although it seemed like little, was greater than the rich boy's flattering words. People can talk a good talk. I'll give it for you, Jesus. I've even heard them, Lord, if you help me win the lottery, I'll even tithe it. Can't even tithe their wage. Heard it all. In comparison to the worthiness of Christ, it is little more than a droplet in time. As to gaining a vast and endless, fathomless ocean of eternal wealth, blessing, and spiritual riches, peace and comfort, contentment, satisfaction of the soul, secure and assured in the company and fellowship and the presence of the, and having ownership of the Lord Jesus as your Savior. Being blood-washed and blood-bought, cleansed, forgiven by his most precious blood. The believer's benefit is 100-fold in this life, but it's more than 100-fold eternal life in the next. Puritan Isaac Ambrose said, cast thine eyes any way thou wilt, and thou shalt hardly look upon anything but Christ. See, I think that's beautiful. Come on, believer, who you say that you love Jesus. Come on, brothers and sisters, think about this. Go out into the field, go across to the river, go out wherever you may go, up the mountain or down the valley. Go wherever you can and look around you and see the glory of God. You're blessed. Cast thine eyes any way thou wilt and thou shalt hardly look upon anything but Christ. Jesus hath taken the name of that thing upon himself. Is it day? And dost thou not behold the Son? He is called the Son of Righteousness. Or is it night, and dost thou behold the stars? He is called a star. There shall come a star out of Jacob. Or is it morning? He is called the bright and morning star. Or is it noon, and dost thou behold the clear light all the world over? He is that light that lighteth every man that cometh into the world. Come nearer, Isaac Ambrose calls us. Come nearer. If thou lookest upon the earth and takest a view of the creatures about thee, dost thou see a sheep as a sheep before her shearers is dumb? Make you think of Christ, the sheep in the field. Think of him as a sheep before her shearers is dumb. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, he says. Oh, the gospel is all around us. His glory is everywhere. Seest thou the shepherd watching over his flock? I am the good shepherd. Or seest thou, he says, a fountain and waters and rivers. And he goes on, he says, you'll find him. Everyone who leaves all to follow Christ is grossly overpaid. Turn with me to the book of Revelation. This is our last couple of verses. I'm, I'm finishing here. This is us closing. The worthiness of Christ, the risen Savior. Do you know in Revelation 4, turn to Revelation 5, but let me mention something of Revelation chapter 4. It shows that the 24 elders and there's angelic beasts, winged creatures, were told the elders cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Revelation 4 and 11, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. Heaven is singing the worthiness of Jesus. Revelation 5 and 12, this is our last. We're told that there are 
thousands around the throne, ten thousand and thousands of thousands and so on, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature was in heaven and on the earth and under the sea and such are in the sea and all, all that are in them heard I saying, blessing and honor, glory and power be unto him that sitteth on the throne and unto the lamb forever and ever. Unto the lamb, unto Jesus. Here's something to take home with you on the worthiness of Christ. Heaven, even if you and I won't, even if others don't, some can't. Heaven worships the Savior. Heaven worships the Lord Jesus Christ. They worship him. The words here in Revelation 5 and 12, these thousands, 10,000 and thousands of thousands and beasts and elders and so on, they're crying in heaven, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb that was slain. See the term loud voice. Loud is a word magus. As in maga, something big, massive, maga, megas. And the word voice is a word phone. Where we get the word phone from, maga phone, maga phone. <laughs> That's what it means. That's where we get our word from. Thousands and thousands and thousands upon ten thousands of thousands and thousands of angelic creatures and beasts and elders with a megaphone voice with one crescendo from one end of heaven throughout all glory and eternity. They're crying out with a magnified megaphone voice. Worthy is the lamb that was slain. think I'm loud sometimes where do you get the glory <laughs> and if you're not going to worship him here you're going to be shocked up there he's worthy worthy is the word axios and it means to measure against to measure up to you they look at him the lamb on the throne the beautiful Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father. And when they look at him, and they see who he is, deity clothed in humanity, bearing the scars in his nail, uh, and the nail prints in his hands and his feet in his ribbon side. They look at him, and they cry with this megaphone voice, Oh, he is worthy to receive blessing and honor and glory and power, riches and wisdom and strength. The worthiness of Christ is not appreciated on this planet, but one day he's coming and the worthiness of Christ will be known throughout all the countries and the nations for he will come and rule over all. I trust we're saved. God bless his word to us. Time's flowing.